I'm okay if it stays this way till spring. I suspect it won't quite do that, but it would be all right with me. Uh, It's good for me to have my sister with me tonight. She rode over with me, and she's going to do more than that when we conclude our service. Uh, She and I will head to Georgia. I'm speaking on behalf of uh, my son's foundation. Some of you may know that when Andrew passed, uh, there were a lot of people that reached out and wanted to do things in his memory, and so uh, we started then what's evolved into what we're now calling the Go Get em Foundation. And if you ever want to see a little more about it, gogetem80.com is the website. But we're uh, building that and growing that uh, so that children and young people in our area can have some opportunities like uh, Andrew had. Andrew was always ready to go get them. And he was involved in everything. I mean, literally everything. You can't imagine what kind of schedule he kept because he was just so involved in school activities and sports and church activities and all of those things. And it's always amazing to me how we have so many young people that struggle to put together a league fee or get to go on a school trip or a mission trip with their church. And so uh, we're right on the cusp now of really being able to fully engage that and uh, give some scholarships and uh, help kids get opportunity. Well, there's there's a company in Georgia for which my sister-in-law works, and every year they have a big blowout day uh, where their employees are challenged to give to a nonprofit. And so this year they chose Go Get Them as their nonprofit. And uh, whatever they raise as employees, the company's going to match. And so uh, we'll go down as far as we can get tonight and uh, then finish that out on to Atlanta in the morning. And I'll have an opportunity to speak to them. So, no, we're not in prayer request section of our service yet, but just pray for us as we do that. And as I speak to that group, uh, obviously I'm going to represent the foundation, but I represent someone that's bigger than our foundation and certainly want to uh, point those people to the Lord Jesus Christ tomorrow. So uh, pray for us as we travel tonight and as we have that opportunity tomorrow. Uh, We have been doing a little bit of this, but I want to change it up because I want us to devote a little more time to it. We'll have prayer requests and our corporate prayer together at the end. But to get us started tonight, I want to ask you, how is the Lord working in your life? What are some things that you've seen God do? What are some ways that God has answered prayers in your life? And I just think that as a body of believers, we need to take more time and brag on the grace and the goodness of God. So who's going to start us tonight? Just a quick quick testimony 
of what God's doing in your life or how you've seen God at work, maybe over the last week or so. What a wonderful testimony. Who else? Hey, Regina, see your head. Wow. Praise the Lord. You were able to get off and get that taken care of. Uh, Because it can be worse. My sister again with me tonight. We were coming back from my first cousin's funeral in Cincinnati uh, a couple of years ago. And we're coming down just south out of Lexington, uh, probably driving about 85 miles an hour. (laughs) And all of a sudden, uh, you know, we had a blow, I mean, just a major blowout. And when you do that, that tells you you shouldn't be driving 80-something miles an hour, right? And we started fishtailing, kind of going all over the road. So it can be a lot worse, but God was good to us as well. We were able to get it under control and get off the road and get that taken care of. God is good, and we're thankful for that. Amen. What a great testimony. Who else? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Praise the Lord. Amen. Yes. I see that. You told me Sunday. Praise the Lord. Yes. 
That's good. Who else? Amen.
Amen. Anyone else? Amen. Anyone else? Sam. Anybody else? We'll keep going. Yes. Praise the Lord. Who else? Yes. Amen. Good word. Anybody else? Somebody's going to leave here and say, you know, I wish I would have said something that's on my heart. Anybody else? Amen. Anybody else? All right, if you would bow your heads with me. I'm going to lead you. This may be a little different than maybe something you've done before, but I'm going to lead you in a corporate prayer time. 
and just ask you to pray from your heart. We're going to be talking about prayer, continuing our study tonight. Uh, but, but one of the great things about prayer, we talked about this last week, is that when the disciples asked Jesus to teach them how to pray, he didn't talk about form, did he? You remember we talked about that? He didn't talk about having to be on your knees, although sometimes we certainly need to do that if we physically can. Uh, he didn't talk about certain inflection in our voice and all those kinds of things. And, and he didn't say that our prayers had to be spoken. What a blessing that God hears our hearts and that the Holy Spirit is powerful enough to hear us as we pray from our hearts. And so I'm going to encourage you just to pray from your heart. It's all right if you want to whisper your prayer. That's, that's perfectly fine. But I'm going to lead you through four areas of praying. I'm just going to suggest these to you, and I'll give you some time in between. And just from your heart to the Lord, I lift these things up to Him. So if you just bow your heads with me and we'll begin to pray, we're going to use what I call the ACTS model, A-C-T-S. A stands for adoration. So just take a few moments tonight from your heart and adore God. Tell Him how much you love Him. Praise Him for His greatness and for His grace and glory. Just take a few moments to adore our Father. C stands for confession. When we adore God and admire Him for His greatness, it shows us who we are, that we're frail, that we're finite, and that we make mistakes, we sin. And so tonight, if you know of sin in your life, take a moment to confess it. Take a moment to ask the Lord, like David of old did, to cleanse you, to renew you, to give you a spirit that's in tune with His confession. T stands for thanksgiving. Take a moment or two and just tell God how thankful you are for your salvation and for the other things, many of which we've talked about tonight, that He has done and is doing in our lives.
Finally, the S stands for supplication. Take a few moments and tell the Lord your needs or pray on the behalf of others for their needs. Our Father, we come to you tonight in awe of you. You're a great and a glorious God. There's no one above you. There's no one beside you. You and you alone are God, and we worship you in your glory and in your goodness, Father. Thank you for who you are, and thank you, Father, for your handiwork Lord, uh, what a beautiful fall season we've had so far, and last couple of days particularly have just been gorgeous, and we've seen the foliage change from the green of summer to the brilliant colors of autumn, and Lord, uh, we're just reminded that only a creative God like you uh, could speak a world like this into existence, even though it's marred by sin and even though uh, we abuse it at times, Father, uh, you sustain it and we see it in the world around us and we praise you for it tonight. Father, I pray that as we have some moments of Bible study that, Lord, we would be alert, that we would think about what you're saying to us in your word and that, Father, uh, this Lord's prayer, this disciple's prayer, model prayer, uh, would just come alive to us tonight. Help us, Lord, uh, to use this information not just as a time to come together and, and talk about a few things, but, Lord, would we use it to deepen and enrich our prayer lives individually and corporately when we pray as a church. Lord, we pray that you'd be glorified by these few moments that we have together in Jesus' name and amen. We're in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6. As you're turning there with me, if you haven't already, just a quick reminder, this is the Sermon on the Mount a few weeks ago, we looked at what Jesus said about prayer and the, the negative things, how we ought not pray uh, with hypocrisy, praying to be seen or praying to be heard. You'll remember with me that Jesus said, once you're seen and heard, if that's your goal in prayer, then when you're seen and heard, that's it. That's your reward. But we want a prayer life that's much more than that. We don't want it to just be about uh, the right posture or the right words or any of those things. We want to pray in a way that honors the Lord Jesus Christ and in a way that helps us connect with God. Let me just mention that briefly and then we'll say together the model prayer. But prayer more than it's anything else, is what I just said. It's connection with God. Um, you know, sometimes I think that we think about prayer in regard to what we can get out of it. 
In other words, Lord, meet my needs. Lord, heal my friends. Lord, do this. Lord, do that. And that's all well and good for us to pray those prayers of supplication. But remember, overarching that, above that, is that God just wants us to be connected to Him. I've said to you before, it bears repeating, that prayer, in my estimation, is the very highest form of worship. We worship in a lot of ways. We worship corporately. When we come together and we sing together and we do those things, we worship when we read the Word of God. We worship in so many ways. But how can we place God in a higher place, put Him in a more prior place than when we come to Him knowing that He hears us, knowing that He's able, knowing that He's all-powerful. So I say that when we pray, it's the highest form of worship, and we want to pray the very best that we can. And so Jesus obviously gave us this prayer. As we've talked about before, these are red-lettered words. If you have a red-lettered edition of Scripture, which just indicates these are words that come from the mouth and the lips of our Savior Jesus. Before we say it together, let me remind you one more time that in the parallel passage in the book of Luke, this is set up by the disciples asking Lord Jesus to do what? Teach us, that's right, teach us how to pray. And then on the Sermon on the Mount, or in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, he just includes it in his message there on the bank of Galilee that day when he shared this great lesson. So again, Jesus is responding to disciples, asking, Lord, teach us to pray, and this is how he taught them to pray. So it's something we need to be reminded of. So Jesus said, After this manner, therefore pray ye. Matthew 6, verse 9, and then following, let's say it together. Here we go. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are in debt to us or our debtors. There's a lot of ways you can say that. We'll keep going. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I'm not going to rehash everything we talked about last time, but let me go back to the beginning of verse 9 to remind you when Jesus says, After this manner, therefore pray ye, Jesus is saying, here is the way you ought to pray. It's not that there's something magical about these exact words, but Jesus has given us a pattern. Here's a pattern, Jesus says. And if you'll pray after this pattern, that's how you ought to pray. A good way, again, to understand that is along these lines. You can insert those words and you're not changing the intent of Scripture. 
Jesus says, along these lines, after this manner, here's how you ought to pray. And so last time, we took the whole time and just thought about the first two words, our Father. And I won't rehash that except for to say what we concluded on at the end, and that is uh, this is a very beautiful paternal thing to be able to come to the Lord and not just acknowledge Him and His greatness and His otherness as God, but to call Him our Father. And we were reminded of what Paul writes and tells us that we actually can come to God connected to Him through the Lord Jesus and call Him Abba, which means what, church? Daddy. That's how very personal and intimate our time of prayer can be. So let's take it a step further beyond our Father and just let you know this, we're not going to get caught up after tonight in each little phrase, but verse 9 is just so important that we will just take it phrase by phrase. But after our Father, Jesus says we pray, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Not going to spend a lot of time about which art in heaven other than to ask you, what does that mean? When we pray our Father who is in heaven, what does that mean? Is God in heaven? Yes. But is God on earth? Yes. Is God in this very room? All right, so when we pray to God and Jesus teaches us that terminology, who is in heaven, it's not a word about position or his presence because we know this and we'll talk about it more a little later. God's everywhere, but it talks about his power. When we address God, we're coming to the one who is sovereign. That's what it's talking about. I'll go back to what I said a few Sunday nights ago when we looked at that great passage out of the book of Isaiah. When Isaiah goes to the temple and he has the vision, where does he see God? High and lifted up, sitting where? Sitting upon the throne. And remember we talked about the fact that in the vision... His train did what? It filled the temple. And I taught you that that's a beautiful image of the sovereignty of God because, again, the ancient kings, when they would go out and do battle, when they would defeat another king, they would take his royal robe, and that royal robe would be sewn on to the end of the winning king's robe. And so a king like King David, who had been so very successful in battle, would have a robe with a train that would just go on and on. And so Isaiah sees in the vision that God's train wasn't just long, but it was so long that it literally filled the temple. So when we pray to our Father who is in heaven, it's a matter of power. We're praying to a sovereign God. Is God sovereign? Absolutely. 
And my friend, if, if God is not sovereign, if God is not in control, if God is not driving time and history to a certain destination, then this world is hopeless. Can you imagine um, being an atheist, being someone that doesn't have a belief in God? Um, I talked to a friend of mine in Somerset a few days ago, and he just had mentioned to me that he um, was grateful for the way our family has tried our best to respond to tragedy. And he said to me, he said, Alan, I wish I could have faith. And he says, I just can't. I have no faith. I don't believe in God. And he looked me in the eye and he said, I really wish I could. And so we had a little bit of a conversation and he welcomed me to have a longer conversation. So you can be praying with me and for me about that. But can you imagine the hopelessness that you would feel if you did not have faith in a God who is in heaven, but also on the earth, but the fact of Him being in heaven and seated upon His throne speaks to His sovereign power. Listen, if history and time is not being driven toward a final destination, then history is cyclical. And it does just go round and round. And it does just repeat itself. And if you think about it, uh, we we see a lot of things and a lot of error of men that is very much like what it was in ancient times just with modern technology. If we did not know that there is a God in heaven, that there is a sovereign God, upon the throne of the universe, then we would have no hope. So you pray for my friend and pray that he will come to faith and that we can have conversations maybe that the Lord would use to help him find faith because I can't imagine what it would be like to not have faith in a God who is in heaven, a God who is powerful. So that's what it's talking about when Jesus says, pray to a Father, intimate, personal, but yet altogether powerful in heaven. And as you pray, you pray in His name. Hallowed be Thy name. We're going to take that in reverse and talk about the name of God first. And then we'll end our time talking about God being hallowed. What does it mean when Jesus teaches us to pray like this? To pray in the name of God or hallowed be the name of God. What is he talking about when he mentions the name of God? Any ideas? There's no equal, absolutely. We'll actually say a little more about that in a moment. But when Jesus says this, he's saying something that is so rich and full that honestly, tonight in a series of a, 
of a year of Wednesday nights, we could not exhaust what it means to think about the name of God. But, but here is what it is in a nutshell. It, it encompasses God's nature and our response to the nature of God. The name of God means so much more than any of the given names for God in Scripture, like Elohim or Yahweh or Adonai or the names of God the Son in the New Testament, Jesus, Messiah, Anointed One, all of those things. It's it's more than just calling out their names. It's more than how a name sounds. This stretches us a little bit because um, a lot of times we give our children names because we like the way the name sounds. And that's okay. You know, we're not blaming anybody for that. Uh, But a lot of people, you know, when, when they know the baby is on the way, they begin to think about how does this name sound? And if I use a middle name, how does it all ring together, you know, and then you add the, the last name on the end of it, does, does it sort of flow? Kind of happened with us because I go by my middle name. My middle name is Alan. So when you call me Brother Alan or just Alan, doesn't matter what you call me to me, but when you say Alan, you're, you're using my middle name. And I've always gone by my middle name. I have never, ever gone by my first name. And so I have gone through life having to explain that. Do any of you go by your middle name? A few of you, I see a few heads nodding. It's, it's no fun, really. And especially when you have a middle name like mine that has a variety of spellings. The proper way to spell Alan as a given name is A-L-A-N. A-double-L-E-N is a last name, right? A-double-L-E-N is a last name. But guess what? Eight or nine times out of ten, when I'm talking to somebody, they have to write down my name. Guess how they spell it? A-double-L-E-N. I got an email today from somebody that has known me since 1992. And he started out his message to me, A-double-L-E-N. I wanted to reach through the screen and say, you you have known better than that for a long time. Here's the thing. I've gone through life explaining my name. And then I always said, you know, if I became a father and my wife would work with me on it, I wanted to make sure that my children did not go by their middle name. Well, that didn't work out. Because our oldest son goes by Alistair, spelled A-double-L-I-S-T-A-I-R. See, you probably wouldn't have spelled his name that way. But it gets worse because we also wanted to use the name Isaac. And I remember the moment Amy and I were sitting together talking through that, and we said, Isaac Alistair just doesn't sound right. Alistair Isaac 
doesn't sound right. But they're sort of a ring to Isaac McAllister. So, our poor boy, it's ten times worse than I've ever had because, number one, there aren't a whole lot of Allisters in South Kentucky, so people aren't familiar that much with the name, and then they want to spell it anyway under the sun, and to beat it all, it's really not even his whole name. It's McAllister, but with intention, we've always called him Allister. So, I say all of that simply to say this. For us, names are about how they sound, the flow to it. That's obviously not what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about the attributes and the character of God. The Jewish people, and remember what we said last time, Jesus is originally teaching this as a first century Jewish man to first century Jewish people. And the first century Jewish people particularly had such a revere to the name of God. There was a sacredness to the name of God. So much so that when the ancient scribes would write scripture, by the way, the way they did that is they'd take one scroll and they would have a scriptorium, a room where the scribes would sit together and as the lead scribe would read out scripture, they would write it down on the scrolls. When they had to write the name of God, you've probably heard this before, they would not use the same, same quill or the same well of ink that they used to write everything else. And if they misspelled the name of God, they felt like they were unclean and they would go back out to the mikvah or the ceremonial bath and cleanse themselves come in and take the scroll they were using and and rip it apart and burn it and start from the beginning again so that they would spell the name of God correctly. That's how much they revered the name of God. So it's so much more than it sounds. It, It has to do with character and attributes. Let me give you a reference and this will help you understand what the ancient Jewish people thought about when they thought about a name. Now, this isn't the name of God. This is actually the name of King David. David was growing in power. Saul was still on the throne. But as David was becoming more and more known, you find this verse in 1 Samuel 18, verse 30, that says, Then the commanders of the Philistines came out to battle, and as often as they came out, David had more success than all the servants of Saul, so that his name was highly esteemed. Do you hear that? The name of David, because of his strength in battle, because of his growing prestige as a warrior, with the Philistines, David's name was highly esteemed. So that's a good example of what we're talking about. You know what we're talking about because we still use it to this day. Have you ever referred to somebody and said, well, he has really made a name for himself? Or she's made a name for 
herself. Often it could be a bad thing. You know, not every name is good. There are some last names. And I wouldn't dare call any of those last names. But I know in my family, you know, sometimes we'll we'll talk about that. And maybe, you know, somebody's starting to keep company with somebody else. And we might stand back and say, well, he is a blank, the name, not an ugly name. But just saying, you know what? Those people don't have a good name. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Or the opposite of that is also true. Sometimes you'll say, boy, I'm sure glad that so-and-so is dating so-and-so because she comes from this family and that family has a really good name. That is what Jesus is talking about when we hallow God's name in prayer. You understand that as Moses was going up to Mount Sinai for the second time, you remember the first time was a disaster. He received the Ten Commandments, came down from the mountain, and the people of God were just blowing it, right? And so that happened all over again. He goes up, Moses does, to Mount Sinai for the second time, and God has a conversation with Moses about his name, God's name. You might want to just make a note of this. This may be a few verses that you want to go back and review, but Exodus 34, I'm going to read verses 5 through 8. And I want you to get the picture again. There's Moses for the second time on Sinai receiving the Ten Commandments. Scripture says, The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. Listen to that. God condescends to Moses. He comes down to Moses and talks about his own name. So verse 6 of the text says, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression of sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the Father on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. So I want you to just hear there what God says about his own name. And I won't repeat it all, but again, God is saying that here's what my name means, faithfulness. Mercy, holiness, justice. So the name of God, when Jesus says, pray our Father which is in heaven, hallowed be thy name, he's talking about praying in an attitude that you're before a God who has all of those attributes and he embodies and encompasses all of that in his name. His name is worthy to be praised tonight. Let me give you some verses from the Psalms. 
I love how this plays out in Psalm. Psalm 9.10, And those who know your name put their trust in you, O Lord, because you have not forsaken those who seek you. Psalm 7.17, I will give to the Lord the thanks due to his righteousness. I will sing praise to the name of the Lord the Most High. Psalm 102, verse 15, Nations will fear the name of the Lord, and all the kings of the earth will fear your glory. Let me give you just one more. Psalm 113, 1 through 3, Praise the Lord, praise, O servants of the Lord, praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore, from the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. So as a name that is to be praised because of his attributes. Listen fast. I'm going to talk really fast. But let me give you 15 as I count them. Others may have a little different list. But as I think through God and who He is, and not that I can exhaust the attributes and the characteristics of God, but I I come up with 15. And let me just go through those very, very quickly. Number one, God is infinite. So He's self-existing. He's without origin and he's without an end. He's infinite. He's immutable. That means he never changes. He's self-sufficient. God has no needs. The three omnis, he's omniscient, which means what? He knows all things. He is omnipotent, which means he has all power. He's omnipresent. That means he's everywhere. And so we can call out to him at any place at any time because God is not only in heaven, but God in his omnipresence is very real and very with us at all times. He's wise, perfect wisdom. He's good. Aren't we thankful tonight that God is good? He's just. He's merciful, He's gracious, He's loving. I'll stop there again and say, aren't we thankful that God is love? We're saved tonight, ding, 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 because God loves us. And I will say this, I think any man, woman, boy, or girl has the potential to be saved because God is love. So He's loving, He's holy, Perfect in His holiness. And number 15, He's glorious. He's God that's infinitely beautiful and great. So when we think about praying to our Father, we're also coming to a God who has all of those incredible attributes. Hallowed. What does it mean to hallow God? Particularly in our prayer life. It means that we revere Him. Now, this is almost oxymoronic in that we talked about being so 
uh, familial with God that we can call him Daddy, Abba. But at the same time, a God who has all of these characteristics we've just talked about tonight is a God who ought to be feared and revered. We have all but lost the fear of God. I can't go there. But we need to remember that God loves us so much that God will discipline us. That's part of His love. And we ought to fear Him and we certainly ought to revere Him. So there, there's this balance that we have when we approach the throne of grace and we speak to our Father, Abba, but at the same time, an infinitely holy God who is to be revered. So as we hallow the name of God in prayer, we do so by believing Him, by just believing that He is and that he has those characteristics that we mentioned briefly tonight. And we hallow God by being aware of his presence. Psalm 139, 7 and 8, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, in hell, you are there. You can't get away from God. You've heard of people running from God? Really worked out for Jonah, right? And if you've ever ran from God, tell me how it worked out for you. I wish I could give more another testimony, but, but we've got to close up. So when we pray, we're believing in Him we're understanding His presence, being aware of it. And then we do not pray in vain, taking the name of God in vain. In other words, it's awfully easy because of our sinful nature to become very egocentric. What I mean by that is we become sort of the center of the universe. And everything becomes about us. And sometimes, instead of praying reverently to God, we, we, we throw a tantrum to God. And we say, God, I hurt. Do away with the hurt. God, I love this loved one that needs your hand of healing Heal him, heal her, or I'm going to be angry with you. That should never be our attitude as we pray. We ought to pray believing. We ought to pray trusting. Because again, we're praying in the name of God. That means we believe all those attributes about God, but we don't come to God and say, God... I want it my way because that 
is a conceited, arrogant, prideful way to pray. The third commandment. We talked about Moses getting the commandments earlier, but the third one, Exodus 20 verse 7 says, Thou shalt not do what? Take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. That means to make it empty, to make it nothing, to make it worthless, to make it have no good purpose. That's taking the name of God in vain. And listen to me, we can take God's name in vain a lot of ways, more than just using His name to swear with. We can take the name of God in vain when we pray. If our prayers become more about us than about His glory. We should always pray for the will of God to be done and for God's glory to be exhibited through the circumstance. Any thoughts or questions? Have I made you mad? Smile at me. I appreciate the smile. Okay. We do have a prayer list. I've got to, I've got to get better about my time. Forgive me because we do need to remember some of these needs.